Good morning. We're kind of doing things different this morning and moving the service around a little bit because we wanted to make a little more time at the end of the service this morning for some worship and some ex an extended worship time, but also a time to respond to some of what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, if you guys have been around the last couple of weeks, you know we've been talking through spiritual gifts or wanting to get to spiritual gifts, and the, the first couple of weeks was more a setup of talking through who is the Holy Spirit and then um, what, what are spiritual gifts. And so this morning, uh, the next three weeks, I actually just want to get into the practicalities of what are the gifts that are mentioned in the Word of God, what do those look like practically in our lives, how do we begin to step into and use those things those gifts. And then at the end of the service this morning, I'm going to ask you guys to be bold enough. We're going to have an opportunity to respond. Like maybe there's some of you in this room who, as we talk through these gifts this morning, you know that those are gifts that the Lord has activated, has really gifted you with in your life. And maybe for some of you, you've known you've had them forever, but you just have not practiced them. And maybe there's some of you in this room that are just sitting here this morning like, I have no idea what a spiritual gift is, nor do I know what it's would look like to actually receive one. And maybe this morning is an opportunity for the Lord to give you a spiritual gift of sorts. And so, again, we've been talking about spiritual gifts. And the last couple of weeks, wanting to sort of lay the, a foundation, like, again, who is the Holy Spirit? What are the gifts? And this morning, I want to talk through a handful of these gifts. So if you'll open up your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11, I want us to help us understand sort of exactly... Um, what some of these gifts are and how they're used. And so we're going to frame the conversation this morning in this passage. And so let me read this, and then let's spend some time praying. It says this, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So... I want to pray for us as we get, the, get going this morning. One of the things that was kind of on my mind, even as we were worshiping, was this continued call in Scripture, this reminder for us that the Holy Spirit is our comforter. And I don't know about you, but as I'm sitting there worshiping this morning, there's parts of me that feel tense. There's parts of me that feel um, just anxious. There's parts of me that are, are, feel like there's so much going on around me, and how do I wrap my mind even around what... I need to present this morning, and I don't know about you this morning, but does anybody here feel a little stressed, a little anxious, maybe confused, <laughs> fearful, doubtful, worried? At the end of the day, I really hope we understand as we talk through the Holy Spirit that Jesus gave us his spirit as a source of comfort, as a source of peace and of rest in the midst of the chaos of this world. And I really don't want to move forward this morning without us first acknowledging him and taking a deep breath and asking the Spirit to come and to comfort us this morning. Amen? Would you guys stand with me? 
We're going to do this all morning. Stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, kneel. Let's pray. If you feel comfortable with it, why don't you put your hand on the person to your right and your left shoulders, and let's just pray for one another. Jesus, we thank you this morning as we know that your scripture says that you're our comforter, you're our helper. And uh, Jesus, there's many in this room who have need, Lord. They find themselves in this time, in this season of life where it just feels as though their stomach's in knots. They can't wrap their mind around the things that they need to. They can't focus. And it seems as though the battle being waged over their soul is actually winning. And I pray this morning, Jesus, as we draw near to you, as we open up your word, as we talk about these gifts, God, that our hearts would come alive at the fact that the living God, the creator of the universe, would actually impart gifts of himself into us. And so this morning, Jesus, we, we call upon you to be the one to activate those things. We call upon you this morning, Jesus, to be the one to sort of stop us dead in our tracks this morning and acknowledge first and foremost that we need help being still this morning and hearing from you. And so I pray that you'd open up our hearts, you'd open up our minds, that you'd speak to us in this time this morning. And Jesus, I just pray that you would do the work that only you can do by the way of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome. <laughs> so with this passage in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, what you see in this passage is that the spirit, the spirit has actually gifted us with these gifts, Right? But these gifts are referred to in this 1 Corinthians passage as manifestations of the Spirit, is the way that Paul phrases it. And so if you're a Christian, you've received a, a spiritual gift, like at least one, right, from the Holy Spirit, maybe more, so that you can manifest, and this word has been so, like, abused in the church today, but I, what I want you to understand is what he's saying is that you can manifest, and this word means to disclose or to reveal, so that you can disclose or reveal God to this world. That's the purpose of these gifts. That means that he wants you to be th th this place where basically heaven and earth overlap on this earth. And the Spirit actually wants to move through you in such a way that, that the manifest presence of God is felt and experienced by the people around you through you. Is that not amazing? That God himself would be sensed, revealed, disclosed to others through you by way of the gifts that God's given you. And so Paul just talked about this variety of gifts he talked about, this variety of service, a variety of activities. And to illustrate this, he mentions gifts like words of wisdom and knowledge and faith and gifts of healing and miracles and prophecy and discerning of spirits and tongues and the interpretation of tongues. And we're, we're eventually going to get to all of those, but before we look at that list leave it there this morning. I actually want us to take some time to look at all the gifts list, listed in the New Testament over the coming weeks. There's somewhere between 19 and 21 gifts mentioned in the New Testament, depending on how you read them, and if you count celibacy as a gift. Does anybody know that celibacy is mentioned as one of them? Anybody have that gift in the house this morning? Um, so depending on how you count them, there's some, somewhere between 19 and 21 of these gifts. And so over the next three weeks, including this morning, we're going to look at about 20 of these gifts. And here's what we want to do with this. 
Um, we, need to, we need these gifts to actually be released and activated in our church. And I don't like that terminology, but I can't think of a better way to say it. I, I personally get fairly discontent when I see the church, Jesus' church, I'm not just saying little C church here, big C church, not functioning in the gifts that God has given us. It seems as though we're like a handicapped church, not living into the full potential that God has for us, and we need to see these gifts sort of released. And it's one thing for us to talk about these things, to talk about spiritual gifts and say, here are the gifts, and then go through the definitions of the gifts, and then sort of leave it there. But I do not want the next three weeks to be all about information that I give you. I don't want you to just file the gifts away in your head and have the definitions for them and have it be all clear cut and, and so clean and crisp and you know it. But rather in the next three weeks, as scary as this might sound to you, I want this to be more experiential and transformational than it is just informational, if that makes sense. We're literally meant to be changed, transformed as a church by the manifestations of the Spirit. That's the intent. And so we're going to actually look at a few of these gifts today, and I'll give you a background on each of these gifts, and over the next couple of weeks, we'll continue to sort of unpack these gifts more and more. But as we go through this, I want you to consider, have you been gifted in these areas? Do you desire these gifts? And then as we go into our response time at the end this morning, we're gonna ask you to stand and we're gonna pray for you this morning, kind of like a commissioning of these gifts in the people in our church. And we're gonna pray for God to release these gifts in us. But I wanna preface this whole message this morning with like six things I'm gonna kind of blast through that I just wanted to clarify about the gifts before we even jump into them this morning. Things that I, I felt like either I didn't communicate well or I wanted to make sure we had a good grasp of before we even jump into talking through the gifts. The first one is this. I wanna remind us this morning that who you're becoming is more important than the gifts that you have. It's so easy to focus on the gifts and yet totally be a people that's exempt from pursuing Jesus. And this is important for us to understand. Like character is more important than giftedness. It's more important. Character in the pursuit of Jesus is more important than these gifts. The, the gifts are not everything. The gifts matter, but character matters far more. This is about pursuing Jesus' presence. I mean, how many of you in this room have heard stories in the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years of your life of people who had the gifts of the Spirit and functioned in the gifts in the church, but yet lacked character? Anybody? Can you identify people like that? And what did a lack of character do to those people? Disqualified them from being able to utilize those gifts in the way that God intended for them to use them. Character is more important than the gift. We can't put it the other way around. Um, it's about pursuing him, not his gifts, first and foremost. Jesus was the one who actually said in Matthew 7, get this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. He goes on to say, on that day, meaning on the day that he returns, he says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? 
And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So Jesus identifies the fact that there will be people who will function in the gifts, but will not know him. Is that not insane? So our character, our pursuit of Jesus, has to come before these gifts. Uh, the, The church in Corinth had all kinds of gifts. And the reason that Paul lists these power gifts that we just read, the miracles, healings, prophecy, words of wisdom, knowledge, was because those ones were being manifested in the church, like they were happening. But they were a mess. Like, it, it was not the pursuit of God. It was ego. It was competition. Uh, there's a pastor that wrote a book that I'm going to reference a lot over the next few weeks, uh, a, a book called Convergence, and it's a guy named John Thompson. Um, but he puts it this way. He said, for the Christian, spiritual practices are guaranteed places of ongoing transformation, and spiritual gifts are divinely guaranteed places of power for ministry. So who we're becoming is more important than the gifts we have. Second, is that we as a church, we, we believe that all the gifts of the Spirit are available today. That they're vital for the mission of the church, and they're actually to earnestly be desired and to be practiced. Um, that's always been our theology. Like, we say that this book, the Bible, is our authority, and that doesn't just mean our doctrine, right? It, it also means life in in the spirit, life in Jesus in the spirit. All the gifts are available and they're to be desired and they're to be earnestly practiced. The New Testament contains 155 verses that explicitly mention, describe, regulate, or portray the exercise of spiritual gifts. And then in addition to that, there's, there's no less than 65 verses that narrate or illustrate the people of Jesus performing signs, wonders, and miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit. Like if we're going to be the authoritative Bible people that I hope we are, we're going to be way more charismatic than any of us are comfortable with in this room and way more conservative at the same time. What an interesting mix. We're going to be dangerous as we step into the things of God, but also have a ton of discretion and be seeking his word and his spirit to put reins on the things that we want so badly to just run off with and do whatever we want. But the Christian life in and of itself is inherently supernatural. Like, that is the point of it. When I gave my life to Jesus, I wasn't stepping into a natural situation with a natural God. I was stepping into a supernatural situation with a God that had the power to save me and empower me to be his witness on this earth. There was something supernatural about it that I couldn't explain, that that I didn't understand, but I knew that he was calling me to begin to walk in. And you can't get away from that. Like coming to Jesus is called being born again because you're literally made alive. Like you're spiritually baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the spirit of the living God. Like, again, the spirit, the Christian life is inherently supernatural. We cannot get away from that. But sometimes we live this sort of naturalistic worldview, to be radically honest with you. Even though our doctrine would lead us to say that we're supernatural and we believe in this spirit realm, we actually fun- function more naturalistic in the modern church than we do supernatural, which is very interesting. 
We would say one thing, but our practice says something totally different. And, and, and so we need to be a people whose eyes are opened to the spiritual realm. We need to see what's going on, not just naturally around us, but spiritually. Like, what is going on? And the Holy Spirit actually wants to take you to those places and open your eyes to begin to see those things. Third, we don't decide what gifts we do or don't have. Like, the Holy Spirit decides what gifts or gift you have. In verse 11 in 1 Corinthians 12, we're told that all of the gifts are empowered by the Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills, is what that passage says. He apportions the gifts to each one individually as he wills. So you and I don't twist God's arm to try to get the gift that we want, right? I'll probably mention this in weeks to come because I've literally witnessed firsthand, I've been in gatherings, instances where man has tried to twist God's arm to give a certain gift to people. And it literally made me sick to my stomach to watch as it's just like begin to practice it and try it and just repeat after me. Tongues will come, like open up your mouth, just go ba ba ba, you know, and it's gonna start to come. Well, the reality is, is we never see that in scripture. <laughs> what happened on the day of Pentecost? The tongues fell upon these, the, the, these people. They begin to speak in other languages miraculously just so happens that the 3,000 standing around them listening to the tongues that they're speaking and the languages that they're speaking, it was such a miracle that they're hearing it in many different languages communicated in their native tongue, the gospel of Jesus being communicated to them by way of different languages. And that was the miracle that was taking place. There was nothing going on where it was like, repeat after me, let's give this a shot. You guys ready to try this? Or like this kind of twisting God's arm to get the gift that we want. I mean, there's something about being content with how God has wired us, how he's gifted you, us seeking God and saying, God, would you reveal to me the gifts that you've granted me and give me the boldness to begin to step into these gifts. God decides when, God decides how, God decides where, he gives the gifts he wants you to have. Fourth is that his gifts never become our own. And I want you to hear that this morning. The gifts never belong to us. Just because he gives it to you in one moment doesn't mean that he's always gonna give it to you in the next, right? He, his gifts are not always permanent. And you see this in the New Testament sometimes. The apostles have the gift of healing. Like they're not healing everybody. Like not even Jesus healed everybody. I mean, do you ever read through the passages where there's like the blind man standing outside of the temple mount, like he's on the southern steps, and it says that he's been coming to the temple for years, blind, begging at the temple steps. Now, how many times did Jesus pass by him before Jesus actually decided to heal him? Or then look at the, the man that's healed at the pool of Bethesda, right? There's how many other people with significant handicaps around this pool and Jesus chooses to heal one. So it happens in his way, in his time, how he wants to do it. This is the difficult part of trying to explain to a Christian the life of being led by the Spirit. Is it's less about you to say like, oh, God gave me the gift of prophecy, so everywhere I go, I just have a prophetic word for people. It's like, no. Everywhere you go, you tune your ear to the voice of the Lord and you speak as he tells you to speak. You don't just 
go moving it on in and of your own power. You do it when he says, where he says, how he says. Fifth is that you should desire to know what your gifts are. Like you don't have to be able to name your gifts. There's no command in the Bible that you know what you have and be able to name the specific gifts. But the reality is, is if you, if you can't name the gifts, you actually won't be able to operate them in, in them because you don't necessarily understand them or how to function in them. And, and so the, the reality is, is that we should know, we should be desiring to have these gifts, seeking the Lord to ask him what these gifts are. You should desire to know the gifts that you have so that you can begin to fan those gifts into flame, to utilize them, to function in them. Like, you don't have to be able to name them necessarily. It's not the most important thing in the world. But you should want to be able to name what the Holy Spirit's doing in you at any given moment of time. If you've been around the church for a while, you've seen spiritual gift inventories. Anybody ever taken one of those? Um, where you basically go through a list, like a checkbox, and you begin to check the things off, like the character traits that relate to you, and you go through that list, and then you tally them up or whatever, and then at the bottom it spits it out. It says, you have the gift of administration. Like, no, you know, like, <laughs> not that one. And then you go back and you take it again. It's like, you have the gift of helps. No, you know, like, I want the tongues one, you know, or like, give me the prophecy one. Um, these spiritual gift, and, like I don't want to slam them because I think they're helpful, but what's really unfortunate is that we end up sort of treating the gifts like they're a code to crack, like they're some riddle to be solved in order to figure ours out, and I just hate that idea of God, that that's not what the Lord intended for our spiritual gift. Spiritual gift inventories are not bad necessarily, but they're not the primary way that you actually discover your gifts. The primary way that you actually discover your gifts, I think, is in community. When I look back on my life and I think, how was I able to identify what the gifts are that the Lord gave me? More often than not, it was being surrounded by people that said, you know what? When you do this, you do it unlike anybody else. Like there's something about the way that God has gifted you that's different than others. Like it just seems like some of these things are easier for you. Like in the days when I was traveling and I was doing uh, like skateboard ministry stuff, there'd be a lot of times where we would stand up on a stage and we just would share a really simple gospel presentation and then we'd say, does anybody here want to give their lives to Jesus? And then like hundreds of people would come down and you'd be like, I didn't say anything cool. Like n nothing, there was nothing elaborate or super amazing about the way we communicated it. But I think God gifts people in specific times and specific ways to reach his people, to reveal himself, to manifest himself to others. And so you should desire to know your gifts and begin to step into those. Six, the last thing, and I wanna, I wanna hammer this one home, is that your spiritual gifts are not the same as your natural abilities or your skills. It's not the same thing. Um, theologian Sam Storm defines spiritual gifts like this. He says, their capacities or abilities imparted, imparted to Christians by the Holy Spirit to enable them to exceed the limitations of their finite humanity in order to serve other believers to the glory of God. These are called the manifestations of the Spirit. They're not the same as your natural abilities. Like some of you came out of the womb doing calculus, right? Anybody in this room? 
Like you just came out and you're like, like you got it all dialed. How many of you guys are just like horrible at math? You just suck at math, right? Like not everybody had that. Um, how many of you guys could like, you came out of the womb slam dunking a basketball? You know, anybody, you were just amazing, super gifted athlete. Like it's easy for us sometimes to see those natural abilities and begin to look for spiritual gifts in people because of the abilities that they have. But more often than not, these abilities that are the, the spiritual gifts that we have aren't necessarily aligned with our abilities. Like, if it was all about doing the thing that you were best at all of the time and you didn't ever have to take a step in faith to actually begin to function in those things, then it wouldn't be a spiritual gift. And uh, some of you, again, you've got these crazy abilities, um, these crazy talents. But my dad used to tell me growing up, he's sitting right here, that there's a proper tool for every job. Anybody ever heard that analogy before? How many of you guys in this room uh, have a snowblower? Yeah, everybody with that one's like, boo. <clears throat> we rented this house from my, my uncle for six years. And the HOA, not only was it a massive driveway, but the HOA actually made us snowblow around the sidewalk because it was a corner lot. So we had like a ton we had to snowblow. Well, we didn't have a snowblower, we just had a shovel. And every time I got there, I was just like, oh, I hate the snow. I wanna go back to California. You know, like, this, is, this sucks so bad. And about like four or five years into living at my uncle's place, my uncle bought us a, snow, uh, a snowblower. And let me tell you what, there's something about like pushing the snowblower and looking at the dude that's got a shovel in his hand. You know, you're like, I'm really sorry, you know, like, it's much easier for me than it is for you. And those of you that have had to shovel or still do shovel, you realize you're like, oh man, I'm envious of the snowblower. Well, when it comes to spiritual gifts, there's often things, that, ways that God has wired us, gifts that he's given us that when you function in them, like I'll use evangelism as, as an example. When, there's some of you that God has just called to be an evangelist. There's something about the way you communicate the gospel, the heart in which you do it, the way you can connect with people. Every time you talk about it, people want to come to know Jesus. Now, does that mean that all of us in this room are exempt from ever sharing the gospel because we're not gifted in it? No. Like, we all should be evangelists of sorts. But there's some of you that are like the evangelism snowblower, you know what I mean? You get out there and you start sharing, it's like, oh my gosh, it, it's a lot easier for one of us, you know, and, and it's not me. Like, you can tell when people begin to function in those because it just is as though it's, it's spirit-led. Like, there's something supernatural about the way they function in those gifts. But we're all called to use the spiritual gifts that God gave us, and many of them, like mercy and evangelism, service, giving, like we're all called in some capacity, some form to use those gifts, but some of us have the right tool for the right job. And when you do it, it's different than when anybody else does it. So I wanna get down to some of the specifics of these spiritual gifts. And so uh, you have to know that, that these gifts do not make much of us. Like I just wanna reiterate that this morning, that we, when we begin to step into these, they don't point to us. They manifest, they reveal, they, they disclose God to others. Like that's the big thing I wanna look at each week as we study the gifts. How do these gifts show us the heart of God? 
And as you look through the New Testament, again, there's between 19 and 21 gifts, depending on how you read it. And as you look at the gifts and you break them down, um, we have to have some sort of classification just so for the next few weeks we can break these down into categories. But the reality is I really don't like classifying the gifts because the Bible doesn't classify them um, because they're manifestations of the Spirit. And so the Spirit does not fit into our boxes. But... I'm still going to classify them for the next few weeks. Um, But some people will say, like, oh, there's the motivational gifts, the ministerial gifts, the manifestation gifts. Um, Those are nice because they all start with an M, right? That sounds really cool. Uh, Others will say there's the revelation gifts, the power gifts, the speaking gifts. Like, those are great. Um, But again, these are all manifestations of the Spirit. And so the way that I'm going to group these over the next three weeks is this morning we're going to talk about the love gifts. Next week, we're going to talk about the word gifts. And then the last week, we're going to talk about the power gifts. And in a very real way, all the gifts are really love gifts, aren't they? Because they do disclose the heart of God, God's love for others to others. In a way, all of the gifts are even power gifts. I mean, how stupid is it that sometimes we'll say, oh, man, that guy has the gift of healing, and that guy's got the gift of administration, and He's just lesser on the totem pole because healing's way cooler. No, like they're both power gifts. They're both miraculous that God has wired people in that way. But here's what I mean by love, word, and power. The love gifts manifest the love of God in a practical way. The word gifts clarify the nature, action, and purposes of God. And the power gifts demonstrate the power and presence and reality of God. So they manifest the love of God, they clarify the nature and purpose of God, and they demonstrate the power and the presence and the reality of God. This is about, again, the manifestation of the Spirit. Church, like, we are the temple of the living God, right? That's what we we are meant to be as individuals, the temple of the living God. And then together, we are a people who manifest the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. And so I want to spend the rest of our time looking at these love gifts that manifest the power of God, the love of God, in practical ways. And these are sort of like the less scary gifts that we're going to talk about this morning, right? And I'm really happy to start with them um, and intro these ones because uh, the reality is, is you'll, be, you'll have a lot more issues with me as we progress through the next few weeks. This morning's pretty easy as we talk about love gifts, right? This is an easy one. But they're not any less important. These are ones that are easier to talk about. There's not as much um, issues over them. People don't debate these as much. These are ones that are like pretty simple to bite off. But the love's gifts are these. There's administration, which everyone's like, like, don't give me that gift, right? There's mercy, helps, serving, and then giving. And so I want to read two texts where you can find these gifts listed. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 through 28 says this. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing. And then he goes on to say, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Romans 12, 6 through 8 says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy 
with cheerfulness. And so let's start out this morning with administration as the first one. Here's the definition for administration. Administration refers to a capacity to manage details of service so as to support and free others, especially those in leadership, to help them prioritize their efforts. So a bunch of you hear this word administration and you think like, I don't want that gift. Like, please Jesus, do not give that to me, right? Some of you hear that gift and you honestly go, oh, that sounds awesome. I love that. Is there anybody that's just like, when I hear administration, I'm like, yes, order. You know, like, I, I love, like, seriously, raise your hand. Like, that's not me. And so when I see your hands go up, I'm like, praise the Lord that you exist, you know? Because it doesn't exist in here. Like, I'm just not the admin guy. There were years running a nonprofit organization where I had to step into, most of my role was administrative. And... Um, I absolutely hated what I had to do and I could do it, but it never felt really life-giving to me. There's some of you that step into administrative tasks and your heart just comes alive. I don't get you, but that happens. There's some of you that are just tired of being told that you have the gift of administration, right? Um, again, nobody's ever said that about me, but To some of you, administration is sort of like this snowblower. And I want to help you understand this morning that this gift of administration is so much more. I want you to sort of take your mind off of Excel spreadsheets and inputting data when you hear this gift, because that's such a minimal way to look at it. It's such a small way to look at this gift. It's so much more than that. In 1 Corinthians 12, 28, the word that's translated as administration in the Greek is a word that actually means to steer. And so where this word comes from is the idea of a helmsman of a ship, like the person at the wheel of a big ship. You see, Jesus has sent his church into the world as sheep among wolves, right? And they're on this mission. Another way to look at it is to say that Jesus has sent his church into the world like a ship out into this open sea, this vast sea. Like we're in really, really deep waters out in the middle of nowhere. We're fighting these spiritual battles like the stakes couldn't be any higher in our lives than they are today right now because of the spiritual realities that are going on around us. But we're in these deep waters and so Jesus has literally given his church leaders like elders and leadership like gifts like apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers and our leaders are often given these amazing abilities to sort of cast visions and, and, and say things like, okay, everybody, here's, here's where the ship is right now, and here's where the ship needs to go. Here's A, and here's B. That tends to be where I'm at most of the time. I see a very big picture, and I'm like, okay, I can see that we're here. I think we need to be right here. I have no idea how to fill in the gaps. I just go, it would be really cool to be over here, you know what I mean? And then there's people that God has surrounded me with, like Renee's an awesome um, resource in this area, my wife. Like there are people that are just like very good at administrating and taking a vision and saying like, not only do I care about the vision, but I care about the process of getting people from here to there. And that takes people who can actually administrate, that care about taking the church somewhere. Um, 
This is why we need helmsmen in the ship, right? We need men and women who can steer. This gift, administration in 1 Corinthians 12, is sometimes translated in your Bibles as guidance. It's not Excel spreadsheets. It's not inputting data. It's directional. This gift actually requires a divine amount of wisdom. This is why we see in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 6, that the leaders of the church had this great vision, like people were empowered to care for each other and to love each other. And the problem in Acts chapter six, as it arises, was that practically speaking, there were certain groups in the church that were being missed in the daily distribution of food. And so the leaders cast this vision, but they weren't able to kind of figure out all the details and how they were actually going to make that thing work. Like how they were gonna steer the vision from point A to point B to point C. And so the problem is brought to these leaders and the leaders go, we don't have the gifts to make this happen. Our gifts are over here. Like we have to stay focused on the things that we've been asked to do. There's a way that we've been called to operate. And so here's what we read in Acts 6, 3. It says, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So they needed other people who were gifted, full of the spirit and wisdom, to carry out and to begin to steer the ship. That was God's calling on their life to begin to step into something that he had gifted them for. And so they they could stay in the room with the maps and sort of keep charting the course. And these became the first deacons in the church. And it's a really good example of the gift of guidance or the gift of administration. They needed wisdom because steering the ship is a massive responsibility. And so this gift shows up in people who are able to come under the vision of leaders with humility and joy and often feel as though, man, I'm called, I'm not called to be the person necessarily in the limelight. I'm called to support and come behind and help put the pieces together to administrate this so that there's some leaders, that there's proper accountability, so that there's proper structure and so that things can be handled in a God-honoring way and we can begin to move this thing forward and not use people in the process. Does that make sense? How many of you guys in this room know how exhausting it is and overwhelming it is when you have a boss or a leader that casts a massive vision but can't break it down into smaller, implementable pieces? Does that frustrate any of you? I'm probably the guy that would frustrate you. Um, But if you notice that problem, maybe you're somebody that's been gifted in this way. You might have this gift that the Holy Spirit has given. You have a knack for organizing tasks and people. You get excited about streamlining and simplifying these complex tasks. You don't just think about your own work. Like when you're in a group, you're actually concerned about the whole group. Not everybody's like that, right? Not everybody just thinks about the group. But when you're in a group working on a project, you're thinking about your own work, but you're also thinking about the whole group and how it is, how it's moving or how it's not working. And maybe you're someone who finds joy in lifting the burden off of other leaders. You might be a helmsman. You you might be someone gifted to steer this gift. But if you're gifted in this way, but not operating in this and like not operating out of love, not operating in the spirit, You have the gift, but it actually can become a very dangerous gift without humility. Because you can easily become someone who undercuts leadership instead of becomes a support to the church. Like, 
lifting somebody else's burdens. Because you can see the pieces that they can't see. And the Holy Spirit has literally given you this gift that you can, like, see it. And instead of seeing it and being a resource and helping, you end up being somebody who sees it and then cuts other people down. And so without wisdom, your personal pride sort of takes over and you can do more harm than you can good. Administration. Second one is this spiritual gift of mercy. Here's the definition. Mercy is a special ability to feel genuine empathy and compassion for those suffering and translate that compassion into cheerfully done deeds to reflect Jesus' love and alleviate suffering. Now again, mercy is one of these gifts that we're all called to, like in some form or fashion. But for some of us, again, mercy is like this snowblower. You see it in places like Luke 6 where Jesus commands us to be merciful even as your Father is merciful. This is about coming alongside others in their suffering. This is weeping with those who weep. This is advocating for those that don't have a voice. It's standing up for the condemned. Like you might have this gift, some of you in this room. Like if you feel closest to Jesus when you're embracing broken people, you might have this gift. Like if your heart cries out in some strange way when, when you're with those who are suffering, you might have this gift of mercy. If you feel the compassion of God when you're around physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual pain, you might have this gift. You might have this gift if you sense the call to stand at the side of the condemned, like those who are being canceled in our culture today, and you have this uncanny ability to want to relate and stand with and be a support to. And like Jesus, you challenge those who would destroy the person by saying, who's ever without sin, you cast the first stone. But you end up being the people who stand there with the person that's being accused. You stand there with the person that's being condemned. You might have this gift of mercy. And you have to be careful with this gift because if you have mercy, you can easily become frustrated with those who seem like they don't have mercy, right? Yeah? My wife is like, has mercy all over her. I'm not, uh, this sounds sucky as a pastor, I'm not the most merciful person. Um, when my wife and I first moved to Seattle years ago and uh, we would drive past any, like we saw any homelessness, my wife's heart would break. Stop, stop, stop the car, we need to go help them out. And then I was like the practical one, like you don't know what they're gonna do with that money, you know, like no, we don't have to stop it. And, and so like my wife and I would go back and forth on that. The neat thing is that in our marriage, I've watched as she's really helped me grow in those areas. As I watch her function in those gifts, there's something really amazing about it, that she really has a heart for justice. She really has a heart to stand with broken people. Like there's something innately like supernatural about the way she has the ability to do that. And there's some of you in this room that have that sense. Like you love standing with people who do not have a voice for themselves. Your heart breaks for the situations of people that others would condemn, but you want to stand with them and you have mercy for them and you see a need and you jump in and you want to fill that need. Which leads to the next one, which is helps and serving. And this gift refers to people who have the capacity to unselfishly meet the needs of others through really practical service. 
There are some people whose greatest joy in life is to really imitate Jesus by picking up the bowl of water, throwing a towel over their shoulder, washing the feet of the people around them. Like, you just thrive in those conditions. Again, something that we are all called to in some form or fashion. But this gift is really in the heart of those who you see around here on Sunday mornings that are doing a lot of work behind the scenes to just jump in. And might I add, it's not just what they do here on Sundays, it's the way they live their lives. Monday through Saturday, they're servants. They're people that innately have the gift of help that all they wanna do is find the need and then they wanna step into it and be the people that will fill that need. And it doesn't wear them out. They feel like they thrive when they're in positions where they get to serve, like they absolutely love it. It takes 70-ish people on a Sunday morning to make these gatherings happen. Like, what a crazy thing. There are people that are sometimes washing toilets. There are people that are out here cleaning, doing whatever. When, you, when we come in here on a Sunday morning, those boxes that are in the corner are literally scattered all across these bleachers. They're shoes that the Boys and Girls Club are giving away to the students right now. And somebody's moving all those boxes to pull those bench seats out so that you guys have places to sit. Somebody mainly Eric and Bill most of the time, and Sarah, are setting up these chairs so that you have a place this morning to sit. And I will tell you from my perspective, there is no greater position than to be somebody who serves with a joyful heart in all humility and thrives in those positions because they understand that they're providing a seat for somebody that maybe somebody won't have if they didn't set that chair up. There's something really amazing about that. Um, hospitality is also sort of a branch of this gift. Like, there's some of you in this room that, how many of you just, like, hate to host people at your house? Like, it's okay. <laughs> there's some of you in this room that you, like, look forward to. You thrive in capacities where it's like you want to clean the house and set the table and create a venue where people can feel cared for that's peaceful and a place where people can come and build community. And there's something about that for you to be a hospitable person, to set the table for other people. There's some of you in this room that are just like, that's not me, right? Like, I don't want anybody in my house, and I really could care less about cooking a meal. That's just not my gift. But there's some of you that thrive in those conditions. And then the last one that I want to mention this morning is this gift of, uh, the, the gift of giving. And this one's a hard one because people will so often in the church make accusations against the church that all the church does is care about money. But I'll tell you something, some of the most remarkable people I've met in my life give away 90% of their income and only live off of 10% of it. And I, I've had the privilege to stand with people over the years that live life like that, and they weren't rich. They didn't have it to give, but they felt called to give more than they take. And there's something truly remarkable about that. There was a man in Seattle who owned a handful of uh, car dealerships, and when we were first starting our skateboard ministry, somebody said, this guy loves to give money, you know, you need to go meet with him because he'll help support these tours that you guys are on. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, do you want to go have lunch sometime? And the guy said, sure, you know, we, we went and had lunch, and, and, um, and he just asked me questions, like, tell me about you, tell me about the ministry, how's your marriage? Like, he would just ask all these questions. So we had lunch for a year. Him and I had lunch maybe once a month. And we just talked life. He never even wrote a check. 
And then one day he came to me and he said, I've been watching you from a distance for a year because I wanted to make sure that you were legit, that your heart was for Jesus and for reaching the lost and that you weren't just coming for me for money. And he wrote me this $10,000 check and said, I felt like the Lord asked me to give this to you. Now, I say that because this is a man that gave away 80% of his income and lived off 20% of it. Gave it away to a lot of different ministries. Now, what I don't want you to think is it's like, well, I don't make a lot of money or I don't have a lot of money, and so that's not me. That's just not the case. There's stories told in the Bible like the widow who gave what? All she had, the two mites. It actually says she gave out of her poverty. When most people give out of their surplus, most people are like, oh, I got tons, so like, I'll just give 10% of it. That's easy. But what about the ones who literally feel called to give it all? And there are those of you in this room that God has called like that, you, with a giving, a generous heart. As a Christian, in some capacity, I hope this is all of us, you guys, because if there's one thing that I would say, two things that I would say are wreaking havoc on marriages and on lives right now, it's sexual sin and money. Destroying Christians' lives all across the, our, our country. Like, I, don't, I can't tell you how many conversations I'm in every week where those things are owning people, they're owning their marriages, they're owning their individual lives. So when it comes to money, if that's something that we idolize, that we've created as a God, it might be something in the church that we need to look at and say, hey, how do we stop worshiping this thing? And the only way to stop worshiping it is to actually get rid of it, to not hoard it to myself. We all should be generous in some form or fashion because Jesus was generous with us. What did he do? He laid his life down for us. He was overly generous, gave above and beyond so that you and I could find life and find life abundantly. But there's some of you in this room that have this snowblower when it comes to the way you give. Like there's something that it does in your spirit when you're able to give above and beyond and even like challenge the Lord in the way you give. And I'm just not talking about giving to a church. Please understand, this is a much bigger perspective. There are needs all around you. On a daily basis, you're walking into pockets of needs dozens if not hundreds of times a day. You're walking past tragedy after tragedy after tragedy every single day of your life. And the role of a person who is led by the Spirit is then begin, you begin to walk into those pockets of tragedy and despair and begin to ask the Lord how he has called and equipped you to be one who steps into that to reveal, to disclose the heart of God to people who don't know him. Some of you in this room, he's called you to do that through the way you give, the generosity of your heart. Generosity is the key in Romans 12. Like the Apostle Paul tells us that those with the gift of giving should do it generously. The, the word generosity can actually be translated as simplicity. It, it means that when you give, you're not thinking about what this will mean for you or what you're gonna get back out of it. You just want to give. And again, this morning, I hope you know, like I. I'm not creating the exhaustive list of exactly what the gifts are. But I hope for some of you this morning, you read through these and you might be going like, that kind of sounds like me. 
Like, I think I should step in and start studying this a little more and figuring this out. I should start asking the Lord to give me opportunities to use that gift that he may have given me. For some of you, you're like, I didn't even realize that helps was a gift. I didn't even realize that administration was a gift, that mercy was a gift. I just thought it was the way I was wired. But it's actually a gift that the Lord has given you. And as we end this morning... Here's kind of my goal is that I want to commission us as a church. I want to ask you this morning, like, are you, are you here this morning and with any of these gifts that we've mentioned this morning, whether that be administration or mercy or helps serving or giving, maybe God is just like really impressing it upon your heart this morning that this is something that he's calling out of you. And if you're here this morning, then I'm going to ask you to stand up if you're here this morning, and maybe that's something that one of these gifts is something that the Lord has identified in your life and something that we need to pray over you as a church, that you begin to sort of be released to function in those gifts, that the Spirit would begin to lead you in those ways. If you're here this morning and you're wired in any of these capacities and seeking the Lord for these gifts, would you stand this morning? There's at least one of you, so... I figured more people would stand this morning than the morning where I go. How many prophets do we have in the room this morning? <laughs> now, I want you guys to look around at these people. 30% of the people that are here this morning are standing. Like, how amazing is that? If you remove you 30% from the body of Christ, the body becomes handicapped, doesn't it? Because God has called you to invest what he's given you into the church to edify it, to build it up. Like the body needs all the organs and all the fingers and it needs to function properly. And so not only do you have the opportunity to look around at the church family that you're connected to and say, how do I utilize what it is that God's given me? But your spiritual gifts go much farther than Sunday morning for three hours a week. But how are those things being played out Monday through Saturday? Some of you work in these fields, and God is literally revealing himself to others by the way you work and utilize the gifts he's given you in the marketplace and at the schools you're in and in your families and with, amongst your friends and in business. Like, God has significantly wired you. And so I want to pray for you. If you're around any of these people, would you lay hands on these people this morning? And I'm going to begin to pray, but I'm going to ask you to be a little charismatic, more charismatic than normal. If you feel led to pray, just pray under your breath or pray out loud while I'm praying. But pray for these people. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for each individual in this room that had the boldness to stand up this morning to identify the fact that they do feel as though you've, you've wired them in this way, that you've gifted them in this way. And I ask this morning, Jesus, that as they begin to seek you, they begin to desire the gifts that you've given them. 
God, that you make it known how it is you want them to use these gifts, God, and not just how you want them to use these gifts, but where and when. God, I pray that even as they leave these four walls this morning, that they would divinely be given opportunities to function in the gifts that you've given them. Lord, that the, when they step into these gifts and they begin to use them, it would be as though others around them would say, man, that person is legitimately, supernaturally gifted in these areas. And as they watch them function in those gifts, it becomes apparent that God is revealing himself to others. And I pray, Jesus, in a very significant way that you make yourself known through these individuals. Lord, in everywhere they put their feet, that you not only show them what to do, but you give them the words to communicate, the heart to communicate it in. And Jesus, I just pray that your church would come alive, and I pray that others would be led to you, and others would see you significantly as a result of the giftedness that you've given each person here. Holy Spirit, we ask that you just seal the gift in these people and begin to give them the boldness to step out into it. We thank you for their lives. I know that the enemy wants nothing less than to come in and to steal and to rob them of these blessings that you've given them. But I pray that you protect them. I pray, Jesus, that you'd watch over them. I pray, um, again, Lord, that it wouldn't be something that they begin to utilize on their own strength and their own power, but instead, Jesus, it begin to be something that they could sense. It's your spirit leading them to do. Give them eyes to see and ears to hear. And may your spirit have your way in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you guys stand with us? As we close in worship this morning, I just want to remind you that when we come to worship and song, we don't come here to sing Christian karaoke, right? <laughs> and sometimes it can feel like that. But we come here to literally worship the Most High God, the creator of the universe. We've got these carpets, these rugs to the sides. If you at all feel led to come kneel and you want to spend time with the Lord by yourself and you want to kneel on one of these rugs, you're more than welcome to do that. You can move around however you want. What I would ask is that you just respect this time as an opportunity for us to worship, to cry out, to give worship to Jesus this morning as we sing some songs.